Welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris, two lifelong pals taking a nostalgic trip through some of the incredible albums that helped shape our lives. I am Chris out in sunny Vancouver, Washington. With me, as always, is my buddy John out on the East Coast. John, how are you, my friend? I'm well. That was a beautiful introduction. I, I think I got a little choked up, actually. <laughs> um, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get much deeper from here, so... Um, you know, I, sometimes they say the deeper, the better, but you know, <laughs> um, all right, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, John, we are really in a fantastic spot with the listen closely podcast. Do you know why I say that? Uh, you know what? Uh, I think I do. And if I were a gambling man, I would say that it's likely because we hit a milestone in terms of listeners. Am I right? No, but that is a good point. That is a good, a good point. Go on. Oh, okay. Well, the fantastic spot. Uh, I don't know. We have the greatest music commentary podcast there is. I mean, that would, <laughs> I guess. But. Well, that's obvious. But uh, what I was going to say is, because right now, there are no expectations. You know, we started this on a lark out of pandemic boredom. We didn't know if anyone would listen, and really, we didn't care. It was just something to do to set aside some time every week to talk about music. Well, you said we started this. Who started this? Oh, well, that's true. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. Okay. Right. You, you built this city on rock and roll, not me. Yes, uh, but you were the excellence of execution, my friend. So. <laughs> I, did, I did swoop in, yeah. Yes. All right, well, thank you for correcting me. Um, but, uh, you know, should we be lucky enough to turn this into something much bigger than it is, which, you know, it's already gaining traction. I mean, we... You referenced our thousandth listener this past week. Um, but should we turn into something bigger, then there'll be expectations. We'll have to keep getting bigger and better so as not to disappoint people. That's always when things get hard. And I bring this up, John, because today we are going to look at an album from a band that you and I both have incredibly high, probably unfair expectations for because of this band's incredible output during the 80s and 90s, our formative years. Uh, I think you and I probably agree that this band never again quite reached those heights, but the album we're gonna do today probably comes closest. Would you like to do the honors? I would love to do the honors. Uh, and let me just say that as I was preparing for this and I looked at the date that this album was released, I, I got downright freaked out because, you know, they say time flies and I don't want to say it feels like this album was released yesterday, but to me, it feels like this album was released maybe five or 10 years ago. Uh, that is not the case. We're going back almost 20 years to the day. We're going back to October 30th of 2000. The band is, of course, U2. The album is all that you can't leave behind. And I just can't believe that it has been 20 years since this album was released. Where the fuck did the time go? Oh, it is it is really depressing when you think about it that way. Um, it's unbelievable. I, I agree. It, it doesn't quite feel like yesterday, but it, uh, if you had told me when we were just casually talking that this came out 10 years ago, I wouldn't have batted an eye. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, I, I can still remember like it was yesterday. Um, you know, there was so much anticipation 
among everyone, but especially you and me for this album. It was their first album in three years, uh, coming off what initially to me was a big disappointment uh, in pop, um, the pop album, which has really grown on me over the years. But at the time, I sure. was really not huge on. Um, and it had taken about three or four years to get pop after Zeropa. So, you know, coming into 2000, this, you know, we we're going on seven years since in my mind, and I think yours too, there have been a really good U2 album. Um, and I remember, I, you got it before me. This was back when you actually had to go buy the album. Um, That's right. Every Tuesday was, was the new release day. Yeah. And I remember you, you called me, and the first thing out of your mouth was, get thee to a CD store, young man. I uh, said that, really. You did. You did. It's, I think that's a Shakespeare reference. I think uh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's. Um, I think it's two uh, two gentlemen of Verona. Exactly. Wow. Well. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I did. I went to the Fye in Fairfield, Connecticut, and I think it was then. Then it was coconuts. No. No. Yeah. It was. It was coconuts on Black Rock Turnpike. Sure. Right. That's right. It's now, a, uh, it's now a CVS, incidentally, so. No, what isn't? I mean. I know, I've been there many a time. You know, the late night, morning after. Uh, <laughs> There's like six CVSs in Fairfield now. I don't yeah, know. but see, that's the 24-hour one, so there's a big difference. That's right, that's right. <laughs> um, well, when this came out, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I, you know, I was still in that mindset of, well, it's good, but it's not Acton Baby. It's not Zeropa. Um, but it was good. What What were your first impressions when this came out? Well, it's an interesting hodgepodge of different sounds, I think, in this album. You know, you have some of that textbook classic anthemic U2 rock. Uh, there's some soul-inspired music. There's a track or two that sounds as though they could have been leftovers from Acton Baby. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's some real stripped down uh, songs. It's a mix. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's a good album. I, I genuinely, genuinely like this album. And when it was first released, my first reaction was, and it, it really my action, reaction now is the same. It's a, an amazing collection of songs. The songwriting is there. All the elements are there. Uh, I will never embrace this album the way that I embraced Octone Baby or Zeropa, uh, but I, I like it. I like it a lot. To me, when it was released, fans and critics praised this as kind of a, a return to form for the band. Because, mm -hmm. like you said, Chris, they, pop was a bit of a disappointment, although it's grown on me as well, but they went off the rails a bit. Yeah. Um, and many will say that this is the last great U2 album, and I think it very well might be. Mm -hmm. uh, they've had a handful of great songs over the last two decades, but I think this was the last album that was really solid start to finish. Um, you know, this album's interesting because I think it's a, it's a sound that's indicative of a group of friends who had been together at that point for more than two decades. They were approaching middle age. They were starting to take a look, a look back on things. And more than anything though, I think it's a sound of a band who are starting to think about their legacy. 
um, I think they were particularly concerned about that because when you think about it, they were flying high in the early nineties and then they, they went off a little bit with pop. Mm -hmm. And, uh, for that reason, what you have on all that you can't leave behind is a band who are playing some really exceptional music, some great songs, but they're also playing it quite safe mm. with this album. And, you know, I've always been of the opinion, and again, I love this album. Uh, I think it's a great album, but I don't think it's an amazing experience. And I was thinking about this the other day, and, um, you know, we're all in the throes of the pandemic here things still and things have been weird and i liken this album to ordering a takeout dinner versus dining in the restaurant <laughs> and hear me out on this uh you know I, i've never been one for takeout uh, unless it's like pizza or greasy chinese food if sure. i'm getting a meal i want to eat at the restaurant um okay. This to me is like the takeout version of Octopavia Zeropa in the sense that the ingredients are the same. You know, the flavors are there, the meals prepared by the same people, um, all the elements are there. But the experience is different than Octopavia or Zeropa. Um, it's all that you can't leave behind is a great collection of songs. There's great songwriting, phenomenal musicianship. It's wonderful to have Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois back in the mix. They were really, uh, you know, I don't know if Lanois was also, but Eno was not on pop, right? And was really uh, noticeable. Eno was not on pop, no. And he was noticeably absent. So to have those guys in the mix here makes the world of a difference. And again, all the elements, all the ingredients are there. It's just, to me, not quite as good as sitting down in the restaurant and having the full experience like you would with Octone Baby. Yeah. But yeah. that's not to say that this, is with, that this album is without some amazing moments because there really are some phenomenal tracks on All That You Can't Leave Behind. I think there are. And I, I think for me, I mean, I don't know if I would go as far to say as it's a great collection of songs. I think it's a very good collection of songs. I, I think, I think this is kind of the start of a new U2, a new, more mature U2 that is really, their music is really laced with a lot of optimism uh, and hope. Um, you know, like Acting Baby, which I think we both agree is their best. It is is so good because it's so gutting and it's so dark and um you know there's just so much internal turmoil and anguish there um and it's tough to sustain that i think you know i, I get the idea and i look i don't hang much with bono and larry and you know dave and adam but i get the sense from the music that at this point in their lives, they kind of had their shit more together. You know, they, they were at this point all probably around 40 or approaching 40. You know, I think when Acton came out, they're probably going through a lot more difficult stuff. And um, this to me has the sound of a band that's, has their personal lives maybe more together, which great for them, but I think it takes some of the oomph 
out of the songs. Um, it does, yeah. There's I, a, I would of, like there's a bunch of of songs on here where the the kind of the conflict in them is like third person. It's like it's like the you know Bono or the protagonist or whatever you want to call it is sort of singing to someone else who's having problems, like stuck in a moment you can't get out of, uh, walk on, you know. Whereas like Acton Baby, like the pain is just more upfront and like do you know what I mean? It's a little removed. Oh, I do. And well, it's like I said earlier, they played it safe with this yeah, album. Yeah, because I think maybe they were, maybe they were just kind of out of like gut-wrenching pain, which... I don't see, I, I disagree with you on that. I, I think that they still had plenty of gut-wrenching pain. But yeah. I think that they felt, like I said a few moments ago, they need to start to think about their legacy. Mm. They couldn't afford to have another commercially disappointing album and tour. Mm -hmm. So after they went and they reinvented themselves with Octone Baby, what else was there to do but go back and just do something that was a little more earnest, a little more traditional U2. Uh, there are moments where you could sense, right, that they're, they kind of want to go crazy and, and break mm -hmm. out and, and have that, that gut-wrenching pain and the pathos, but mm -hmm. they kind of pull back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's in like very metered doses. Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. Because I think, I mean, that's kind of the way that it's gone for the last 20 years since this album. You know, it's, they've never gone, I think playing it safe is a good way to put it. Um, and it's that optimism, you know, I, I think that's just the direction they went in, which is, uh, you know, optimism's great. Um, but I just think it, it takes, pardon the pun, the edge out a little bit. on. <laughs> albums. Um, what, one thing I think is interesting: this album has a real, a real post nine eleven feel to it, even though it came out before nine eleven. Um, I think because of that optimism, you know, in the face of despair, I feel like "Beautiful Day" sort of became like a post nine eleven anthem, and you got a song like "Peace on Earth," which is all about uh, oh, half the songs in the album. I think had a really had a 9-11 moment right yeah yeah um it's kind walk of walk on yeah yeah no it's uh it's weird to go back and look and think oh wow this came out before but i think it sort of ran into this this moment where it uh dovetailed with that um uh, you know the other thing the critics i mean the critics they kind of fawned over this one right they did. They were happy to see you two return to form, I think. Um, mm. And yeah, they, they, for the most part, raved about it. I mean, Rolling Stone gave it four out of five stars, uh, which you know, was fairly generous at the time. Mm. And they said that uh, all that you can't leave behind gets serious about simplicity. The songs aren't obscured by excessive production, but the band doesn't commit the common sin of boring people silly in the name of scaling back. Uh, the Guardian praised the album by saying that this is U2's most accessible and emotional recording since 1991's Octone Baby. And uh, the Grammys would truly go on to uh, shower praise, I guess you could say, on the album. Beautiful Day, One Song of the Year, Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocal, which incidentally, 
Is there an, a category for best rock performance by duo, duo or group without vocal? <laughs> Think about that for a moment. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah. It also won <laughs> record of the year. And this is the interesting thing. So this was in 2002. And then a year later, Walk On wins record of the year because it gets released as, as the single a year after the album gets released. And um, Elevation won rock, best rock performance by a duo or group, again, with vocal. Um, and Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out Of won best performance by a duo or group with, you guessed it, vocal. Um, <laughs> and then the album also goes on to win album of the year that year. So they kind of had two years in a row where they win Grammys. In fact, all That You Can't Leave Behind remains the only album ever to have singles win record of the year in two consecutive years. Wow, I didn't realize that. That's crazy. And in 2012, Rolling Stone magazine ranked the album number 280 on their list of the 500 greatest of albums of all time. Um, that has probably since changed because, again, Kanye West bumped it. Um, <laughs> Great. The recent uh, revised 2020 list, and in 2009, uh, it was ranked by Rolling Stone as the 13 best album of the first decade of the new millennium. Wow, wow. pretty high. Yeah, you know, I, the the four I believe the four singles off this song and the ones that won all those awards are the first four songs on the album. Um, and to me, what I think is kind of interesting about this is that as more time has passed, I actually think the album is better in the back half. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lots of sleepers, lots of songs that grow on you. Um, maybe this is good. Oh, go on. No, no. In fact, I was, I was going to say that I almost chose as mine and dear, but I didn't. Uh, I almost chose their choice of singles. Uh, mm. because I feel like this album... The, the, the finest moments of this album are the sleeper moments, are the back half, are the songs that really never got much airplay and that are kind of considered uh, deep cuts because yeah. the singles are good, but yeah. not necessarily outstanding with, I think, maybe one exception, which I'll get to later. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. Um, maybe that's a good way to segue into the picks here. That's a great way to segue into it. I love a good segue. I do too. Just like Joe Bluth. That's um. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as always, we start with the Nadir, the low point. And I am very curious to hear what your Nadir is on this album. Oh man, this one was easy for me, Chris. Um, this album, and again, I like this album a lot, but it contains what I consider to be one of the most mindless, meandering U2 songs ever. And that is track number 10, New York. Wow. Um, you sound surprised, really? You don't like New York? Oh, no, no. I don't like it. I hate it. Uh, I think the lyrics are pointless. Come on. Have you listened to the lyrics to this fucking song? Voices on a cell phone. Voices from home. Voices through the hard cell. 
voices down a stairwell. Just got a place in New York. Oh, good. Yeah, I bet the rent is really cheap now, Bottom. Um, <laughs> you know, for a city that is, or at least was, arguably one of the greatest in the world, I mean, this is really a shoddy song. And I, I just think it's filler. It goes absolutely nowhere. And it's, it got me thinking, and I, I don't want to get too off, off course here, but New York is such an amazing city, but it's really inspired some terrible songs over the years, this being one of them. And I know I'm going to sound like really negative here, but Sinatra's New York, New York, awful, awful song. Yeah. Uh, Billy Joel, New York State of Mind. Well, that's more about New York State. No, 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 no. You think it is. Listen to the lyrics there, buddy boy. All right, all right. Um, I don't know if I like you call me buddy boy, but... Uh, <laughs> what do you want me to say? I'm sorry. I'll take your point. Uh, and, you know, the Alicia Keys, the one with the concrete jungle. Oh, yeah, that one's grating. Yeah. Awful. This, to me, joins the ranks. Not quite as bad as the others, because I haven't heard it nearly as often as the others but i just think it's a pointless song i really really think it's filler wow that is all wow i i am shocked i i could not disagree more really? I, this is a real highlight for me are you serious yeah this has always been a song that i liked it's a terrible song you had your say. You had your say. Step into my office. You're fucking fired. <laughs> it's always been a song that I kind of liked, but it has really grown on me, and especially this last couple of weeks listening to it. I think this is one of the few songs that really gets it right about New York. I mean, I have some real, and I think you do too, complicated feelings about New York. We both, we grew up in the shadow of New York and Connecticut, went in there a lot. You know, I, neither of us is really, I would say, like a huge New York fan. Like, I think well, New York is great in a lot of ways, but I feel like it's a little bit overrated. Well, here, okay, here's my thing with New York. New York is, New York City to me is Manhattan. And I think that's what's bothered me over the last decade or so about New York City, is you have people from Queens, from Brooklyn, from Bronx saying that they're from the city. No, 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 you're from the boroughs. New York City is Manhattan. I don't want to hear another goddamn thing about Brooklyn and how cool it is. Well, yeah, no. It's That's not, not New York. <laughs> no, I agree. I think of Manhattan too, yeah. And, you know, I think it's a little overrated, but it, look, it's a, you know, there's a lot of great things about the city. What I like about this song is that... Not right now. Well, I mean, where is great right now? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, you know, I think this song gets New York in a way that many songs don't. You know, New York, um, New York is, yeah, it's the city of, of it does, the city that doesn't sleep, which again, is not really true. Having gone to school there, like try to get a meal in the West Village at like 1030 at night. It's, it's actually kind of tough. But, um, but New York, ha you know, it's not just this overpowering behemoth. There's a lot of like, you know, summer in New York has these lazy days where it can be like the quietest place in the world. And I think this song really gets the mix of the bold, brash New York 
and the quiet kind of sleepy New York. Um, you know, it has this, I think it's got a great smart a start with the keyboard, Mullen on the drums, um, and it kind of builds into this, the edge laying down some just killer guitar riffs. Um, and what I love about it is it starts out as an ode to New York, but then you get to the crux of it. It's, it sounds like it's just all about uh, generic New York stuff, Irish, Italians, Jews, and Hispanics, religious nuts, political fanatics, happily not like me and you, but then, then it takes a turn. That's where I lost you. And you realize this is really like, this is a, a song about a love gone, gone bad. Um, and it takes this turn that I think is really powerful um, with New York as the backdrop. I, I just think it's great. I think it has a great uh, kind of give and take between these smoother, quieter moments. And then that really, again, pardon the pun, but like edgy guitar from the edge. Um, I picked it as my sleeper. I'm going to jump ahead because I think I have to, but this was my sleeper song. Really? Yeah. I think this is a really good song. I really don't have much to say about that, to be quite honest with you. It gets the whole idea of like the heat in New York, the voices, you know, everywhere. Uh, too many choices. I mean, just the abundance of everything in New York. Uh, yeah. I, I just feel that musically it's not particularly exciting. And I think it. Oh, see, I think it's, I think it's great musically. Really? See, I think it falls off a little bit. And, you know, we talk about how the, the back half of the album really is the strong point of this album. And I, I'm in complete agreement with you with, uh, on that, but I think that this is the exception. And I just, I just feel like the album's a the, the, the song rather is a letdown. Hmm. All right. Well, we're we're at an impasse, I guess. That's uh, yes, we are. It's the beauty of listening closely. Um, I have. I, have. I really don't know what else to say. I get your head out of your ass. <laughs> well, I have. I have similar feelings to what you're saying for my nadir, which is actually the third song on the track, uh, Elevation. Third song on the album? On the track. Really? On the album. I think Elevation is terrible. I think it is something that you almost can never say about a U2 song, which is vapid. It is, I mean, you want, you want bad lyrics. A mole digging in a hole, digging up my soul now, going down excavation. I and I in the sky, you make me feel like I can fly so high elevation. This sounds like a Smash Mouth song, not you two. Yeah, but, okay, first of all, lyrics might not be their strongest, but let me say a couple of things for a moment here. Musically, I don't think it's all that bad. In fact, musically, it could sound reminiscent of Octung Baby era. And when I think about it, that was the theme to Lara Croft Tomb Raider, was it not? I'm, <laughs> I don't even know how you know that. I didn't peg you for a Lara Croft fan. Well, uh, I'm not a fan of the film, but I might have been a fan of Lara. Well, sure. Um, yeah. yeah. And so when I picture the, when I hear the song, I picture, you know, a 20 something Angelina Jolie before she fired out eight kids. And, um, <laughs> you know, she looked. Most of those kids. What's that? 
feel like she adopted most of those kids, didn't she? I think she adopted a few. I think she fired out. Who knows? Whatever. So disrespectful. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever. I'm sure, I'm sure Brad Pitt is okay with what we're saying right now. But, <laughs> but I don't think it's all that bad of a song. I don't think it's that great of a song. But I, I also have fond memories of this was the, uh, the opener for the uh, 2001 tour. Yeah. The Elevation tour. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, a you know, for like a stadium rock, get you out of your seat song, it's got that. But to me, it's just, once I've heard, once I heard it a few times, it just lost anything for me. I, I don't think it's that great musically. And I think the just, the blather of the lyrics to me, just give it, there's nothing to hang on to in this song. I, I think it's hands down the worst song on the, on the album. Really? Wow. I'm, I'm quite surprised. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't love it, but I kind of feel like, I feel about the song the way I feel about American Cheese. Like, I would much rather it be Asiago <laughs> or Colby or, or Cheddar or... Um, Are you a Colby guy? I didn't know you were a Colby guy. I like Colby. Colby's pretty good. Manchego Cheese. Oh, yeah. uh, a couple of years ago, I went to Trader Joe's. I had this cheese that they, they fermented in a cave, and it was outstanding. Ooh, I'd nice. much rather have any of those cheeses, ricotta, um, sure. you know, a good fontina. But if someone handed me a sandwich and says, you know, here's some fresh cut ham with American cheese, I'm not going to say, no, I don't want it. I'll say, oh, you did? Yeah, this is fine. Um, that's kind of how I feel about uh, elevation. I'm fine with it. I don't love it. I don't dislike it. I, I would slap this cheese to the ground. Um, really? And yeah. that's how I feel about New York. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, that's interesting. We both really despise a song and it's not the same song. Okay. And it's an wow. intense despising. I mean, yeah. Huh. Wow. All wow. right. Well, well um, so we, I mean, we did my sleeper. What, what did you pick for your sleeper? Oh, man. This was a challenge, if ever there was one. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, like you said, the back half of this album, the non-single, the, the, the real deep cuts are this album's finest moments, some would say. We would say. Um, All That You Can Leave Behind contains what I consider to be some of U2's finest sleeper moments and deeper cuts. Mm. Um, but in the end, after much deliberating, I went with track number six, Wild Honey. Mm. Um, it's simple fun, a little romantic, incredibly infectious. In my opinion, it's the very definition of a great pop song. Straightforward, pleasant verses, snappy and catchy refrain. In fact, I think this should have been released as a single. I really do, because for my money, this is better than the majority of the singles that were released off of this album. I never get tired of hearing this song. Uh, maybe it's because I don't hear it often but I genuinely find this to be a great, great song. In fact, um, as we were preparing for this, I went on YouTube and I found a video of the band playing this song for the first time at the old Giant Stadium mm. in uh, June of 2001. They had never played it live before. And if you, if you look it up, uh, it's, it's really a great performance. And uh, Daniel Landois makes a fantastic cameo on guitar um 
which is pretty amazing because do you ever get the feeling Lanois is sort of a faceless, mythical being that nobody knows whether or not even exists? <laughs> Him and Flood, right? It's always mixed with Flood. Yeah, but like Lanois is kind of like the, the, the music industry's answer to Kaiser Soze. You know what I mean? Like, I, when you said you, you saw him in this video, I, I wouldn't have recognized him. In the, like, I don't even know what he looks like. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't recognize him. Bono introduces him at the uh, end. Okay. You're like, oh, who's this guy playing electric guitar? Yeah. He's pretty good. And yeah. he's kind of like got a hat on and he's, you know, he's focused on the guitar. Yeah. And well, then Bono's like, ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Lenoir. And like the place goes crazy. And I'm like, oh shit, that's Daniel. Like he actually exists. You know what would be amazing is if you watched a bunch of, of videos <laughs> and like every time Bono was introducing him, it was a different dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be incredible. <laughs> but am I right? That's kind of how, how you oh, totally. the impression of, right? You don't know who Lanois is. You know who Eno is. Eno's a legend. But Lanois sure. just kind of, floats in and out and you really know nothing about this man totally like Kaiser Soze. yeah no I, I i always assume that like he's a key part of what youtube does because he's always one of the producers or mixers or whatever but i have no idea what he actually does <laughs> he plays a hell of a guitar watch this video yeah but, but anyway i get back to the song yeah. i really think wild honey it's simple uh but not boring it's it's so infectious. I just find it to be a pleasant, happy song. I, I've always enjoyed it and always loved listening to this track. It's a great song. It's a great song. That, you know, that and the one before it, uh, it's been a while, right? Is that what it's called? Uh, or in a little oh, while. I love it's been a while. In a little while, yeah. In a little while, yeah. Um, that one's got like a real bluesy feel to it. And Wild Honey kind of does too. And uh, those two tracks, you know, they're kind of, different from the rest of the album i think and they're not typical u2 and when i first heard them i i was not into them i think because i had this kind of knee-jerk reaction of like what this isn't you know i was still at that point where i was like i want octung baby now you're giving me like bluesy kind of uh you know southern american type songs um but i i love them now they grew on me so much i think that's a great great pick great songs for sure yeah yeah so now what do we do about the Zenith? Because you went out of order. You fucked everything up. Well, you because you had this ridiculous tirade about the song New York, I had to step in. But um, song blows. <laughs> you blow. Uh, <laughs> what the hell, man? That's messed up. Come on. <laughs> no. I, we'll, go, <laughs> we'll, get, we'll, get, <laughs> we'll go back into the, the regular order here. So I'm going to go to you for the Zenith. <laughs> I'm really curious about this. I had a hard time with this. Did you have a hard time with the Zenith? I did, but I could tell you one song it is not. <laughs> yeah. It's not fucking New York. <laughs> um, this was another difficult, difficult choice for me. And Chris, I, I narrowed it down to two songs. Mm -hmm. And had... Somebody asked me to make this choice anytime over the course of the last 19 years and 11 months. I likely would have picked track number five, Kite. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Kite is a moving song. It's got amazing soaring vocals from Bono. It's got a great melody. It's got the whole nine yards. Listening to the album, though, for the last week or so, I was struck by something else. 
and I've always loved this band, like you. Uh, but what I love about you two most is when they sort of go out of their comfort zone. Mm. That's probably one of the reasons why we like Octone Baby so much. Mm -hmm. uh, and when they shy away from that anthemic rock that they're synonymous with. Yeah. So with that in mind, I went with the second track on the album, Stuck mm. in a Moment You Can't Get Out Of. Mm. Is it my favorite song on the album? Oh, probably not. It's maybe my third or fourth favorite even. But I think it's the best and most impressive. And hear me out on this. Mm -hmm. I love the Philly soul gospel vibe it has going for it, especially toward the end of the song when the brass comes in. It's really unlike anything had, uh, you two had done previously, with maybe the exception of Angel of Harlem off of Rattle and Hum. But I've always found that song to be a little too contrived, what about like produced. Sweetest thing? Can it, What's that? There's a little bit of like a sweetest thing vibe. It does. Yeah, I was thinking that, but it's a little more soulful than sweetest yeah. thing. Sweetest yeah. thing's a little more poppy. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear them do an album entirely of songs like this, like Philly soul, Motown inspired. You know, really uplifting, catchy, yeah. sexy, soulful music. Um, this song to me is the most complete. It's the most satisfying. Again, not my personal favorite. That's probably Kite. But I just think it's a, it's a great song. And a couple of interesting facts about the song. Who's the song about? I think you know. Is it Hutchins? Michael Hutchins? Yeah. yeah. yeah the song's about Michael Hutchins. It's a conversation that Bono wishes he could have had with Michael Hutchins. Uh, prior to Hutchins's death. And I guess there was this kind of trifecta, this club, if you will, of, uh, of lead singers who hung out together um, during that time in the, the late 80s, early 90s. And it was Michael Hutchins, Bono, and Simon Le Bon, Duran Duran. And they all, all became pretty close, you know, because they all became famous around the same time. And... Um, both U2 and Duran Duran wrote songs as tributes to Michael Hutchins. Uh, U2 won that battle because the Duran Duran tribute songs are not nearly as good. Uh, but I, I like the fact that he could have gone in the direction of writing a very sad and mopey ballad that was an ode to Michael Hutchins, but instead he kind of approached it from a different perspective and made it soulful and upbeat and, I really appreciate that. I love the song. And another interesting fact, the original backing vocals for the song were recorded by Mick Jagger um, and one of his daughters. Yeah. But the band decided not to use those vocals and went instead with backing vocals that The Edge and Bono recorded. Wow. But that's my zenith. It's a great song. It's a great song. I... Um... It is, you're right, the, the sort of simplicity of it and just that beautiful melody, um, you know, that, that it has this positivity to it, even though underneath it's just incredibly sad because you know what, what happened. But um, yeah, just the idea too, that, that stuck in a moment that you can't get out of. I mean, that we've all kind of been there to some degree, you know, when you, 
I know we, I mean, we've definitely both, I think, had things like that where you're just like stuck in your head and you just can't flip the page and you, you know that there's the other side is there and, and you just can't see it. And uh, it's really, it's beautiful writing. It's a beautiful tune. It's a good pick. I, I really, again, I, I would argue that Kite is the better song, but um, I would even argue that, you know, In a Little While is maybe a better song or, or Wild Honey is a better song. But to me, Stuck in a Moment is the most complete song and it's such a departure. It's, it's snappy. It's, it puts a smile on my face. I really, really love hearing the song. Yeah. But now, yeah. what did you go with? That's what I want to know. Uh, for this, it really came... I mean, I, I considered that a little bit. Although, for whatever reason, when I listened to it over the last week or two, it didn't quite grab me the same way as it used to. I mean, it's still, still great. But... Um, the two that, that really grabbed me, one I almost went with as my sleeper, which would have made for a lot more peaceful uh, uh, podcast here, but <laughs> is when I look at the world, which I think is, what is that, the third to last track? Yeah, that's track nine. That's a great song. Great, great yeah. song. Um, and when I think about that, what that one's, you know, I didn't pick it, but just real quick, you know, I think this album is at its best when it gets a little bit messy. Um, you know, I think they went from pop was, you know, without Eno, it, it was, it felt very underproduced. It felt very raw. Um, and it was almost on this one to me, like they kind of overcorrected a little bit. It, it's a little too smooth and um, doesn't have, I keep wanting to say the edge, but that's, I can't, you can't really say that when you're talking about you too. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't have kind of that, uh, those that jaggedness or messiness. And I think when I look at the world, it, it has it in parts. Um, and it has, there's like a little bit of anger there too and resentment and, and I like that. Um, you know, I, and I just think it's a great, it's a great song. But what I, what I eventually went with, cause I think it's even better and it's also a song that's a little bit messy and a little bit raw is Kite. Um, I think Kite's amazing. I think it's one of their most underrated songs. You know, I never real, really hear anybody talk about Kite, but it's, it's fantastic. Um, you know, The Edge is, is amazing on it. Um, you know, and I think a couple interesting things I found out looking the song up that I never realized. Um, so one, Bono had been having trouble with his voice for a couple years. And when they were in the, the studio recording this, you know, there's that, the bridge to this is great, where Bono gives that, I'm a man, I'm not a child, um, and really just belts out that lyric. And apparently when he, when he did that in the studio, I mean, that's a pretty like tough note to, to hit. And he just, like his voice snapped back into action for the first time in years um, and something clicked. And, and they said that everyone there just kind of stopped because it was like, the king is back. Um, and it was just this incredible moment where uh, he recovered his voice and uh, there you have it. Um, the other thing that I think is kind of cool, you know, I love The Edge. I mean, I think we both love The Edge. The Edge is like, Bono gets all the attention, but The Edge is the, edge is the shit. And 
you know, he's great on this album as he is on every album, but you always get the sense that the edge is like, he's almost got this George Harrison kind of like a little under the radar, but he knows what's up. Like he's the, this deep poetic soul. And this song, I guess, is ostensibly about Bono watching his two little girls fly a kite and it goes crashing down. But The Edge helped him with the lyrics and The Edge has this great quote where he says something to the effect like, I don't think Bono even realized it at the time, but this song is really about his relationship with his dad. Um, which I just think it's cool that The Edge was, <laughs> Bono's like, oh, you know, here's a song about, I can't do an Irish accent, song about my, my two daughters flying a kite. And The Edge is like, uh, yeah, no, Bono. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I just think the sound to this is great. It's so, it's messy, you know, the guitar is uh, scratchy and, and in a beautiful way. It's, it's sloppy, it goes outside the lines, a uh, great song. Great song. It's messy, but it's a beautiful song. And I, I wanna take it one step further because I think I heard somewhere that, and it might've been Bono, or it could just be my imagination, where it was, also, it's about all those things you mentioned, but it's also about an aging rock star looking back on their heyday, um, mm -hmm. which I think was rather telling. A uh, little mm -hmm. bit of foreshadowing for, for Bono and, and, and the gang to write this in 2000. And it's that last uh, moment, moments in the song, which I think really uh, play up to that. Did I waste it? Not so much I couldn't taste it. Life should be fragrant, rooftop to the basement, the last of the rock stars. Yeah. When hip hop drove the big cars, in the time when news media was the big idea. Now what's the big idea? It's an amazing lyric, it's an amazing song. Oh, the, yeah, the lyrics in this are so good, so good. Um, and again, I wanted, that was going to be my pick because that is my favorite song on the album. You know what, I would go as far as to say it's probably in my top 10 favorite U2 songs. I just felt that Stuck in a Moment is something a little, a little different for them. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you did. That, that's a great song too. There's some great kind of effects on this too that are, are very, this is to me has a very Achtung feel. I mean, there's a lot of like distortion going on. So good. But yeah, Stuck in a Moment, I mean, I, I don't fault you for it. It's a, it's a great song. Thank you. I'm glad you approve. Any personal memories, pop culture issues with this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In November of 2000, uh, I had, so, okay, let me back up. I graduated college in 2000, as I believe you did as well. Yeah. And um, I treated myself, as a, since it was such a miracle that I graduated college, um, I said, let me take myself on a nice vacation. So I treated myself uh, to a Caribbean cruise a few months after graduation. So in November, I went on the Caribbean. Is it Caribbean or Caribbean? Which do you prefer? I, you know, I, I say Caribbean except Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. Exactly. I think Caribbean sounds cooler, but yeah. for the sake of the podcast, we're going to say Caribbean. Well, Billy Ocean so, is Caribbean, right? Yeah, he did, didn't he? Caribbean yeah. He would know. Caribbean. Yeah, he would know. Okay, never mind then. It's yeah. Caribbean. 
<laughs> so, so I went on a cruise uh, with a good friend, a good friend of ours. In uh, November 2000, we go on this cruise, and um, I'd never been on a cruise before. And I took my old Sony Discman with me mm. and some portable speakers in a small uh, travel-sized folder of CDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I set up a little stereo, if you will, in the cabin uh, to listen to while pre-gaming, you know, throwing a few back in the cabin before your night out on the cruise ship. This had just been released two weeks before. And uh, anytime I listen to this CD, particularly to Kite or In a Little While, Even Beautiful Day, uh, I immediately am transported to that that cruise and that whole experience it was such a wild time because and and people tend to forget this but no matter where you went in mid-november of 2000 and that's when this was the question on everyone's mind was who the hell is going to be the next president of the united states because we were in the throes of the recount and um it's just funny it's one of those instances where a song or an album can automatically transport you to a time and place and uh anytime i listen to this i'm 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 put on that cruise ship again Mm. and i'm at the the cocktail bar out by the pool watching the news and and watching the ballot counting a week after election day it's a great fall album i feel like it is isn't it yeah something maybe if just because that's when it came out, I associate it with it. But something about it feels very fallish to me. Um, now, what what about you? Any particular memories, uh, pop culture moments with this? Well, I'm hoping I have this right, but we we went to see the Elevation Tour, correct? I knew you were going to bring this up, and I'm ready to verify that. So, yes, go on. Because <laughs> then I started thinking, wait a minute, was the was it the Vertigo Tour? But it was it was Elevation. Uh, yeah, John and I, uh, we saw this with, um, was it, it was Phil, right? Our buddy Phil and your cousin, Tony. Anthony, Tony, sure. Yes. And, uh, yeah. in Hartford, I, I guess was the Hartford civic center. And I mean, it was a fantastic show. I mean, they all, you know, they have such incredible sets for the show for all of their shows. But what I, what I remember most was the pizza. The pizza. Holy cow, that pizza was amazing. Afterward, yeah, we had, you know, we had all had a few, which for me was a little unusual back then, but uh, right. not for me. Involved. And we were, we were so hungry. And there was this one pizza place that was open right near the theater. And I, I'm hoping you can help because I can't remember exactly. I remember there was something very bizarre with the pizza. I remember we ended up somehow getting a pizza that we shouldn't have gotten. And we were like in an alley, basically sitting on the ground eating this pizza. So that's right. We went to this uh, pizzeria after the concert got out. We were at the Hartford Civic Center. Yeah. And the pizzeria, the name's escaping me right now, but I would later find out because I would go there about a year later. The pizzeria, that was the first night they were open as a business. And I guess they had made a pizza for some people. And you know how it goes first night, you're ironing out all the kinks. Mm-hmm. People got frustrated, so they left. And one of the guys says to me, hey, as we're leaving, you guys want a pizza? Because um, we were just going to throw it out. And, of course, we were three sheets to the wind at this point. 
And we're like, sure, let's have the pizza. We've had a great night. And so, yeah, we were in a back alley in Hartford, Connecticut, which is never really a good idea. Eating, But the pizza was so damn good. It was so good. And, you know, when I went back like a year later, it was just as good. I I knew you were going to go with this memory. And I'm so glad you did because I... um, a few days ago, I pulled out my CD of All That You Can't Leave Behind. And what I did at the time is I had a habit of doing is if I saw an artist or a band who were on tour, I would save the ticket stub and slide it in the CD case oh. for that particular era. And yeah. I am looking at the ticket stub from that exact concert that we went to. Are you ready for this? It was on Sunday, June 3rd, 2001 at 7.30 p.m. Wow. We had pretty good seats, too. Do you want to take a stab at how much these okay seats cost in 2001? Or in 2000, when I probably bought them. Oh, God. I mean, today they'd probably be, what, like, you know, $150 or something? Yeah, probably. What were, what were they back then? 50 bucks. Forty-six twenty-five plus $5.35 handily. Oh, man. What a bargain. So how about that, folks? It was a great concert. I, I mean, I've seen you two probably about five times. And we did see the, the subsequent tour, the Vertigo tour. You and I saw them at uh, Madison Square Garden. Yeah. I remember that because uh, Keen opened up for them. That's right. That's right. But I think of the five times maybe that I've seen you two, I think the Elevation tour was probably the best. Yeah, I've, see, I've seen them. What if I've seen them three times? Uh, that one is a highlight for me. Um, although it may be it may just be that pizza man that pizza was fucking incredible and it was a beautiful early summer night too i remember this this is really a a fond fond memory yeah no that's great that's a great and you know whenever i hear of or remember things that i did in that especially in that time frame i mean june of 2001 you think what was just around the corner i mean i know how much do you think this album reflects the zeitgeist of the early 2000s? I think it, it reflects the zeitgeist incredibly well. In fact, possibly even more than any other U2 album. Mm. Um, I think it was released in, what, October 2000. So there's an element of optimism on this album, which you touched upon, uh, which was quite important as we all sort of headed into the 21st century. Mm. And then a year later, the album becomes associated, and you, you indicated this earlier, with the days following the attacks of September 11th. Songs like Beautiful Day, Walk On, Grace, New York, and so on and so on. When I look at the world, dare I say it, but all that you can't leave behind was in some ways the soundtrack to post 9-11 America, at least for a few months in late 01, early 02. Let's not forget, these guys played the Super Bowl halftime show in January or February of 2002, and that was a hell of a performance. Right. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, cultural zeitgeist, Absolutely. How about you? Yeah, I think so. And, I, you know, it's kind of funny because of the way that, that it worked out. It, it, um, because of all the 9-11 stuff, you know, it, it really just dovetailed with that and became part of the zeitgeist in ways that I, I doubt they even imagined it would. Um, how could they? Um, unless they were involved, but uh, I don't think they were. I heard uh, some interesting conspiracy theories. <laughs> I don't think the Irish were in on it. No, but, um, but yeah, you know, it, it really did become the soundtrack of, uh, the post nine 11 year. 
Um, and it was a great soundtrack to it. I mean, this, you know, these songs have, there's a lot of pain underneath them, but it, it's always dealt with in a really optimistic, uh, hopeful, down but not out way. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Final question. Do you, do you think this is a perfect album? At the time it was released, I think it was the perfect album for you too, for the loyal fan base, myself included, presumably you as well. I think it got the band back on track and it proved that 20 years into their career, they were still relevant. Looking back on the album 20 years later, do I think it's perfect? No. I think they played it a little too safe with the album. But I still think the songs are outstanding and the album holds up incredibly well. What say you? No, I don't think it's a perfect album. I think it's, I think it's strong across the board. Um, you know, I don't think elevation notwithstanding, I don't think there's any like glaring holes. I think the, the pace of the album and the order of the tracks is all good, you know, and I just, I just think that it's kind of across the board really good as opposed to great. I would have to agree. But it's definitely worth it's definitely worth a listen if you haven't if you haven't you no. somehow not listened to this or heard these songs. But now let me ask you this. Yeah. As many fans and critics have said, this is the last great U2 album. What do you think? I think it's the last well see to me the last great U2 album is, is actually Zeropa. Like I don't know that I would call this great. I, again, I think this is really, really good. How to dismantle an atomic bomb. I think is actually up there with this. I don't think it's quite as across the board good. But uh, it's a, it, that is a very good album. And I think we might have to uh, address that in a future episode. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's the last great U2 album? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, again, I, I, I also have... Listening to this really inspired me to take out How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb and listen to it again. And I was amazed at how much... There's some really good stuff on that album. I think this is a little better. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I do. I think this is a great album. I just think it's not quite as great as Zeropa or Octone Baby. Yeah. And as much as I hate to say this, I think it's highly unlikely that they will ever achieve that level of greatness again. Well, it's such, I mean, like I you know, started this out saying, it's, it's such a high bar, they said, you know, and it's, me as a U2 fan, I mean, I know it's, it's just unfair to hold them to that standard. Um, but that's, that's what you get when you create some of the greatest albums ever made. That's right. But this one's outstanding. It's outstanding and it, it holds up well. Give it a listen 20 years later. Absolutely. Uh, you can check us out at Podcast Closely on Twitter. And John, what's the Instagram? Listenclosely.podcast. Yes, and also check out the official Listen Closely with John and Chris playlist on Spotify. You can hear our sleeper and Zenith picks. Yeah. If you really want to torture yourself and listen to New York over and over again, go for it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Ask. All right. Well that despite that, it's been a pleasure as always, John. Always a pleasure. Mm -hmm.